0: Hi, I'm Juliana Streif, I'm the Director of Creative Design and New Concepts for Panera Bread, and you are watching A Student's Perspective.
1: Hi there, and thanks for tuning in to A Student's Perspective, the weekly series that connects students with designers, manufacturers, educators, industry professionals, and design media celebrities to hear their stories on just how they've gotten to where they are now. Through our conversations, we connect the past, present, and future of design to show just how much we can learn from each other to grow towards our fullest potential without prescribed limitations. Think of a student's perspective as a weekly design lecture series from the student's point of view. A student's perspective is a division of the nonprofit University Hall of Innovation, whose goals are to connect students with the design industry through design challenges and mentorship, and a collaboration with the Marywood University Interior Architecture Program in Scranton, Pennsylvania. All interviews can be found in their video format at www.astudentsperspective.tv. For more information or sponsorship inquiries, please contact Innovation at gmail.com.
2: Hi, I'm Katie Shea, and this is A Student's Perspective. Today we're talking with Juliana Strife, um, Creative Director, and concepts at Panera Bread. Uh, if you like our conversation, please like, share and comment any questions you may have. So um, hi, Juliana, thank you so much for speaking with us today. Uh, would you just like to start off by introducing yourself and uh, giving us a little bit about your background?
0: Yeah, hi, Katie. Thank you so much for having me and um, thank you a students perspective. I love, I love the whole idea of this series and really digging into people's backgrounds and what makes them tick and what makes us all, um, I guess, really good at what we do as individuals. So I'm the director of creative design and new concepts for Panera Bread. I've been building restaurants and designing restaurants for um, a little over 15 years. So I've got, I I know we'll get into all of the details on that, um, but wherever you wanna start, we, we can jump in.
2: Yeah, we could start. uh, Maybe let's start about like education and um, maybe what you studied in college and how it got from there.
0: Sure. So I had a very, um, you know, most people who actually approach their career in any design field, I mean, in any field, not necessarily design, um, have a very linear approach. So, you know, I was not one of those people that said, hey, um, I know for sure I want to be an architect or a designer. And so, you know, I'm going to go to design school and I'm going to get an internship here and I'm going to get licensed, et cetera, et cetera. There's a lot of people that do that. I was not one of them. (laughs) I started out actually, um, I'll I'll step back even further um, beyond school or before school. My first real design job was at the record store. I worked at the record store at the mall. Uh, it was a very 90s thing to do. It was the best job you could get as a, as a high school kid in the 90s. And I, I think of that as my first design job, even though on paper it's a retail job, because we would spend almost all of our time not doing our actual job, but taking all of the merchandising materials they gave us for new record releases and building these really elaborate displays out of them. And it was legitimate. Usually, either the labels would have some kind of a contest, or they, um, you know, whoever had the the most the the best display won. I don't know, free CD, promo CD, something like that. We just did it because it was fun. You know, it's fun to make really outlandish things and get paid for it. Uh, you know, I thought that was just playing around, and uh, it was a surprise when I started to learn that. I could actually get paid really well to do what was playing you know in my mind yeah. and so i did that for about four years and i actually ended up after graduating high school um, i continued to work you know all of my friends meanwhile were very uh, serious-minded and they knew what they were going to do and they'd applied to school and you know they were off to their four-year universities I was still working at the record store and going to community college. And not because I couldn't, I, um, I scored really well on my ACTs. I was in the top of the class. Like I, I, everybody expected I would be the first one to fly out of the gate and take over the world. And it just wasn't happening at all. <laughs> I, um, I, I, I enjoyed the merchandising that I was doing and, you know, finding this creative way to, to make money with art, you know, in, in some weird way. And uh, I'd started out at one community college and um, put in some time there. Eventually ended up moving up to a bookstore. Um, and worked at Barnes & Noble in a similar capacity doing merchandising and window design and, and window dressing and things like that moved on to community college number two. Um, and, you know, after a while I thought, I've really got to get serious about this design thing. You know, my friends would all come home from college, you know, they, it'd be sophomore, junior year, and, you know, they're getting ready to finish up and I'm still goofing off <laughs> community <laughs> college, working and doing these things. So I thought, well, I need to get serious about design. Like I'm, I'm actually going to do this, whatever this thing is. And so I went to art school, um, which is a really great, business plan. <laughs> and uh, I ended up studying studio art and painting at Illinois State University, which is in uh, Bloomington Normal, Illinois. And it was a great experience. Um, it, I, I loved what I was doing. I think I was there. I probably by the time I had added up all of my community college credits, I think it was two years at ISU before I could get my uh, my bachelor's in studio art. And I was about a month away from graduation when it hit me that I had to somehow find a job with an art degree. And funny that it just took like literally a month before graduation to have that thought, but I did. And um, I remember so clearly, I had a newspaper out. This tells you how long ago that was. (laughs) I'm looking through the want ads and I'm just going through, you know, they always say, there's this funny career advice that says, oh, just look at the want ads and anything that jumps out at you, that's your passion. So I'm looking through the want ads in the paper and I see all this random stuff. I see locksmith and I think, oh, that could be fun. can learn how to break into people's houses. I could be a locksmith, let me do that. And I go through and I, you know, there's all these, these kind of things that have nothing to do with art. you are probably seeing that pattern. And I finally see one that's from State Farm Insurance, whose headquarters is in Bloomington Normal, where ISU is. And it was an ad for mainframe programmers. And they were looking for people who had no computer training, no computer background, no programming, coding, nothing like that, but had mathematical aptitude and logic aptitude. And um, they, they basically would take people into this program and teach them how to code on these mainframe systems because nobody coming out of the, the computer science uh, programs knew how to program them. So they just put this whole thing together. And I thought, well, that sounds like easy money. I'll go do that. And so I became, with my arts background, I became a mainframe programmer for State Farm. And it was, um, I mean, it was good. It, it was it was lucrative. I got paid very well to do nothing but learn for the first six months, and then once I got the actual job, it was um, really easy. I mean, re- the it was a surprise to see what the corporate world was really like and how slow paced and you know you could really stretch everything out. And for somebody I think with who who wants to create, it was absolutely soul sucking. So you know, on one hand, the money there. That's great. But you don't. There was there was nothing to make except code, and at that point, it was just not exciting code. So I did a little more soul searching, and decided that it was time to go to graduate school, and for real this time, I was going to get serious about this whole design thing. And um, I applied at North Carolina State University. I'd always. Been interested in architecture, you know. As an artist, I kind of always thought of architecture as the most noble of the arts because it's the most useful of the arts. Yet it's it's still something that moves people. And so um, I applied for that program, and um, it's it's an interesting program that North Carolina State has because you can get a professional degree so that you can go on and get your license. But they allow you to do all kinds of concentrations. I'll, I'll get back to that in a minute. To pay for that. To pay for that, I enlisted in the Air National Guard. So, um, yeah, it's not not this linear path. It's this path that looks like this and goes backwards. (laughs) So uh, I enlisted in the North Carolina Air National Guard a day before September 11th. And I was a turboprop mechanic uh, for C-130s. It was a very very brief stint just because of um, a medical issue that I had. So I ended up being released after six months, um, which, thank goodness. I, I mean, I hate I hate to to frame it like this, but had that not happened, the unit I was in was the premier maintenance unit in the U.S. And so they were immediately stationed in Iraq, and um, you know, at the time, I think they were they were on duty continuously for something like six years. So. I never would have gone to graduate school. I certainly wouldn't yes. be on the path I was on now had my ankles not broken, which is which is
2: basically what happened. Yeah, life would be so different. then.
0: Oh, completely. Completely. Yeah. I couldn't even imagine what, what I would be doing at this point. I mean, I was fixing planes, so I guess I might still be fixing airplanes. I don't know. <laughs> um, so I then ended up um, going into the program with a little more debt than I planned, because of course that's a big draw for the National Guard as they pay off your undergrad student loans and they pay for for graduate school. But, you know, i was still this room and that was the thing I wanted to do. So um, the program at North Carolina State is really interesting in that um, I'd mentioned that you can kind of create your own concentration. So mine was in architect led development because I really think that the next generation of influential architects will be those of us that are building that are financing the projects and building them to the vision and making you know experimenting on the right things so um that was the very long path to get to my actual design degree Um, and we can i mean we can it's it's, as long as it got there it was probably as squiggly a path to get where i am today once i started practicing too
2: yeah i think that like they're always kind of the best ways to get there is like when you don't um you're not completely sure how like what you want to do like i was definitely like that in high school i had no idea what i would be doing and like all my friends were like you said like they knew what they were on a path exactly what they were doing so i guess my next thing is um how how did you get into restaurant design because you came out of school and i read that you went um to a firm is that correct
0: i uh no so i yeah that would make too much sense to just go (laughs) start start practicing or getting getting um Getting the hours? No, I worked for a company called Empire Properties, and they were the—they're based out of Raleigh, North Carolina, and they were the preeminent historic property redeveloper. So um, the the guy that owned the company essentially would go around downtown and just buy up every old building he could get his hands on and redevelop it in a really thoughtful way. I mean, he um, he did he did a brilliant job of it, and I knew. Um, when i was when i was looking at internships the, the program i was in was a track three professional program for people that don't have an architecture undergraduate degree so it was a three and a half year program so it was a grind I was, I was there for for a minute and i remember i think it was maybe my sophomore or junior year or third second or third i guess um i knew that this was the company i wanted to work for because it was a design it was a construction company um, being a developer uh, they financed their own work and they had a very, very strong design point of view. So I pretty much hunted down the the architect that was the head of, of, of the, the design component of the group and realized that I actually went to school with him. And he was in he was in class, like he never talked about work. I had no idea that he was doing this other thing. He may have said something like, oh, I have to go to work. Had no idea that was the guy so I basically harassed him endlessly until he hired me as an intern uh, in the summer and then he ended up um, he ended up teaching he's actually a, a, a professor at Temple University now and he's kind of been all over the place um, but I took over his role when he left um, when I graduated and so I did that for about three years and it was a great experience um, mostly Office spaces, retail spaces, things like that. Um, but interestingly, uh, because because the same person that was developing the property was also holding on to them, this owner was really interested in what kinds of uses went into the space. So he would buy, um, you know, maybe a four-story something that was previously a furniture warehouse, and he would know, okay, we can put retail on the second floor. We can do office on the third floor, et cetera, et cetera. But that first floor is always really critical to keep it activated. And he could find um, he could find uh, stores that wanted to go in, but he could never find restaurants. And you would have this great corner building and he couldn't find a restaurant that would want to come into the space because they were in marginal areas. They were areas that were kind of getting ready to turn, but hadn't quite done that yet. So he said, well, I'm just gonna open my own restaurants. And so that's how I got accidentally, like everything else, that's how I got into restaurant design. I had no business doing that whatsoever. Um, Okay, I guess I'm going to learn how to design a kitchen and I guess I'm going to, you know, how to exhaust vents and all of this, you know, really technical stuff you have to do when you do a kitchen. And um, we ended up building a lot of restaurants and they were award-winning restaurants. They ended up, um, one of them Bobby Flay came out and did a throwdown with Bobby Flay from the Food Network. Uh, Mm -hmm. President Obama came to one of the bars that I did, and that was one of his campaign stops on his uh, 2008 campaign tour. So, like, they were, they ended up, these accidental restaurants from people who had no idea what they were doing ended up being, um, you know, improbably successful. So, I, I did that for a bit. And I ended up moving back to Chicago after a few years because this is where I grew up and my family was here. And you know, I kind of wanted to be rooted in, in a different area. And I started to do a little bit of similar work, not quite to the same extent. Um, but I was here for about a year. And all all the while, I, I should back that up a little bit. When I was working with um, with the historic property group, I held the contract, the general contractor's license for that group. So it that's something that um, if you are interested in doing um, development work as an architect, you always have to be mindful of what path you want to go down because you can either hold a general contractor's license or you can hold an architecture license, but you can't have both. or the same person can't have both. You have to have a partner. So at that time, I wasn't licensed yet because I hadn't been working very long. Um, I didn't, you know it takes forever to rack up those hours. And at the time it was it was nine exams, nine licensing exams, so it was going to be a while. So I held that. And then um, after moving back to Chicago, it was at that point that uh, I started studying for all my exams and trying to get my architecture license. And um, really out of the blue, McDonald's called one day, a recruiter for McDonald's. And said, "Hey, you know, we're we're doing, um, you know, we're looking for an architect." They actually had an in-house architecture firm that belonged to McDonald's, but signed and sealed all of the drawings for for every restaurant built nationally. And I get this call, and I almost didn't take it because I'm like, "Why on earth would I ever want to work for McDonald's? That sounds like a terrible, terrible idea. I'm totally not doing that." And I kind of blew it off for a little bit, and they called back. And this was, um, this was right around the time when the economy just completely tanked and nobody was building. And of course, nobody's hiring an architect. The firm I was at was not doing great. And I thought, all right, fine, I'll go do this McDonald's thing. It'll be a three-month job and um, I'll go find something. I find a real job after that, after I buy myself some time. Nine years later, <laughs> He was still there um it was the it was the shock of my career to see what a great experience that was and to um really you know the the caliber of of people that are drawn to work to that group were really high and um we very much took seriously the idea that when you have thirty eight thousand restaurants around the world if you make a big design move it actually changes the world. Unlike if you're working on a really small museum project, or you know, like everybody, that's of course the architect's dream. I've got to do the museum or this municipal project or something like that. Um, but it really gave us the opportunity to change people's day to day. You know, if we if we put in um, a Prive chair or an Eames chair, like a real one, not the knockoffs, that's that's an incredible thing for a kid to grow up with that and eat his Happy Meal on this design icon. Um, so I did that for a number of years, and um, when I left, I led—I um, was the creative design lead for global design. So we were responsible for developing new architecture, interiors, and retailing for uh, not only the the global new you know designs around the world, but things that would scale um, into all of the other restaurants eventually. Aspects of it. Um, then I ended up going uh, to Blaze Pizza, which is a much smaller, you know, they had 350 restaurants as opposed to the 38,000 McDonald's had, um, but really was brought on to help kind of systematize some things and help them to scale and still do really great design, but ramp it up because it's very, it's, it's easy to design one restaurant well. It's really hard to design that restaurant over and over again in, in, a, in a buildable way. Um, so really enjoyed that quite a bit. Um, but most recently, I was also brought on to Panera Bread as creative director there. So really fun opportunity for me to focus back on concept design. Um, I led architecture. And, I'm sorry, I led design and construction at Blaze, which was great. And you know, certainly something that was in my background. But um, I, I much rather would let the pros handle contracting and you know focus on the design work. So that was a really long way of answering your question about how I got involved in restaurants. No,
2: no, I love it. I love to hear it. Um, so, I you mentioned like Blaze Pizza. I was reading about you prior to this, um, and you you were talking about how um, I wrote it down. You were talking about how important it was to design for an experience rather than like actual design and I thought that was really interesting because whenever you describe like what we're doing to um, other people they're like oh well you're just like picking um, things out like I don't know like everyone just thinks you're designing the space but um, like you were saying like you're impacting so many people's lives by just like putting one element in there like I would just like to hear about more of like maybe you're thinking and explain like it's like designing for the experience like maybe what you mean by that and like how you do that in your line of work, I guess?
0: Yeah, no, that's a great, that's a really great question. And I think that um, if if you were to, if we were to have a discussion about what design is and as designers, what we do, I mean, we're really, we're problem solvers at the end of the day. That's all we do. Somebody, you know, has identified a problem or frequently it's us, you know, we identify a problem and then we find a creative way to solve it. And I think, I feel so strongly about this, that when you reduce what we do to just aesthetics and talking about finishes and things that are important, don't get me wrong, they're super, super important. Yeah. But when the conversation is about aesthetics, it becomes very, very subjective. And it's easy for people who maybe don't have the level of background or training or acumen as we do, it's really easy for people to have an opinion on something that's kind of fluffy. And it it's also, at the end of the day, a little meaningless. When you look, though, at an overall experience, and I think restaurants are a really interesting example right now i could say the same about retail but with everything that's happening in the last year and a half with covid and you know our experience with restaurants has has shifted quite a bit starting to shift back a little bit the people i think now more than ever are aware of when you go out to get food it's that sounds very transactional so um you know, there's a, a huge shift in the industry to focus on delivery and focus on people that just want curbside service and you know food run out to their car, and that's important, but that's not that's not something that moves people. That's very transactional. That's very I I need X and you give me I'll give you money and you give me Y and we part ways. That the problem with thinking about an experience, and in this instance, restaurants specifically like that, is that you're really trading on the lowest common denominator. So who's to say that somebody can't provide the same thing as you for less because you're just providing food to somebody. It's just sustenance. Whereas I think, I mean, we're social creatures, we're people, we, we don't, we have these needs, but just having, just supplying food is, a very that's the lowest common denominator of, of a base that's like your basic need the experience is what fulfills us and it it's what you know either connects us with people or makes us feel good about the choices that we're making to go to a particular restaurant or it could be very aspirational um you know i think about people go to certain restaurants because they either want to be seen there or want to be the kind of person that goes to sweet green for example or you know you can put any other other number of places in there but the experience and how you kind of pace what people feel when they go into that space it is about finishes, but it's more about an overall feeling it's about lighting it's about how you walk people through a space. It's about, is it comfortable? Are you having, you know, you, are you making these spaces where people feel like they're really tight or there's all these ordering kiosks around them. So there's this chaos and they can never they can't relax. That's a problem because I mean that's that's what's actually happening in an awful lot of restaurants. But that's the real problem and that's the hard thing to do. And I, I do think that's why a lot of people don't focus on it because it isn't just about, you know, a different chair, or light fixture, or or laminate or, or tile or whatever it is. Um, those are the tools of creating something that makes life worth living. Right? That sounds a little bit overinflated, but, <laughs> but it, you know, we all want to go and see what's out in the world and, and experience things, and that's that's kind of the toolkit we use to to get there.
2: Yeah. That's so interesting. I um I was just like when I was reading about you, like that really that part really like grabbed me. I thought like. Because in school, we study all the time about, like, the experience that someone has coming into the space. So it was really interesting to hear, like, how you use it in the everyday world. Because sometimes, like, um, in school, I feel like, oh, like, I don't know, like, if I'll ever actually be doing this or something. But um, it's like, obviously, the experience is super important because, um, yeah, like you said, everyone wants to experience things.
0: Well, that's an interesting statement though that you just made about how you're doing something you're kind of practicing one thing but you don't know if you'll ever use it that's that is the name of the game all day long you know i can't tell you how many failed experiments <laughs> i've had where we've done something that seems like it's a great idea or we've built out an entire project that never got funded so it didn't happen so it was all just theoretical and it's never a waste because there's always another project around the corner that you roll those things into. And if you, what you're describing too, let's say you do all of this work on, you know, for, I'm, I keep picking on museums because that seems to be like the academic project of choice all the time. It's always some kind of museum. You may not ever ever design a museum, but you might take you'll take what you learn doing that and apply the principles to other things. Like nothing is there's no throwaways. Nothing is ever lost with 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 design.
2: Yeah, and I think my teachers, um, they always encourage us to experiment. And even though, like, sometimes you like don't know if it's gonna work or whatever, but you definitely like you said, you definitely learn something from every single one. So I definitely agree with that. So you were talking about um, a little bit about how the pandemic has changed everything. So how um, how do you guys function now with the pandemic? Um, I guess it's changing for you, um, has it changed like how you guys work and then um, like how how you guys are designing your work? Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah,
0: that's tough. That's tough because it's so hard to collaborate virtually and there are so many well-meaning people that have put great tools out there and there's just nothing that replaces in-person collaboration, like there's just nothing. So interestingly, so I'm I'm in a I'm I'm speaking from a position where I think I've been with Panera for six weeks at this point. I have not met the vast majority of my team. I've never walked into my office. I have no idea what my office even looks like. Like I could not tell you if yeah. I tried. Um, I've got I've got people that. Are on my team that live in Seattle. And yeah, I mean, again, I, I'm in Chicago. The, our office is in St. Louis, but there's another one in Boston, but nobody's there. It's, it's tough. Uh, I, this actually came up on one of our nine calls today, where we were talking about how, um, even though I was just making fun of finishes, this actually was a discussion about finishes, and how it's really hard to read finishes digitally, like if you're doing a digital swatchboard. But everybody here, like we sent, um, we sent samples of the full, almost the full design library of everything we're using to everybody's house. So all these poor, all these poor designers have, like, and me myself included, I'm looking at my pile of junk over there. Um, you know, we talked about how when we're looking at these things and talking about them as a group, instead of doing them digitally and it being kind of sterile, put all the actual materials together, take a picture, do a FaceTime with it. We'll move them around, like, try to replicate. In-person stuff as much as you can, even though it might look prettier in, in a formalized, like in, in, a, in, a, in a, an InDesign document or something like that. Um, but we've had we've had to kind of come to funny things like that, and thankfully, I know we're all kind of on the track to get back together again. Um, but virtual collaboration is definitely not going anywhere. Um, it, Mostly because we're, you know, I, I I don't think we're going to go back to a time where everybody is at a firm in an office five days a week together. It's just it's, you know, people are kind of used to being able to have the personal flexibility to work from home. And it's a good thing. It's good for, for the soul to do that type of stuff. So we have to continue what we've learned um, in in collaboration. I think too another thing that I'm personally not great at is I can give you if we're having a conversation I can give you real time immediate feedback on whatever it is and you know we can we can have a good dialogue. If you send me an email, I'm probably going to accidentally ignore it for two weeks. So, yeah. and that's if you can't do that, then this is your interaction with people because you know people are like, oh, my boss is a jerk. She never looks at my You kind of, you can't get a pass to do those types of things anymore. So. Etiquette is important.
2: <laughs> I definitely, like, I feel like I get a million emails a day, and then I'm, I'm just like, I don't know what to do if I miss your email. Yeah. Like, it's definitely, I definitely didn't mean to, so I know exactly what you mean. It happens. Um, so I know that you have a, um, you said this was a newer job with Panera, but do you guys have, like, a process when designing? Um, especially, I'm sure it's, like, way different than what it will be in the future because you are online. But um, even at, like, you um, blaze pizza before even before the pandemic did you guys like have a process of going about um like each experience i guess when you're going into it yeah
0: yeah so i've been i've been really fortunate to with the exception of when i first started working with mcdonald's because then i was i was i was a production architect so i was basically taking a something that was already designing designed and site adapting it so i take a full set of drawings and say okay it fits well. It's in Tennessee. What are the site requirements? You know that that kind of thing. So, with that small exception of time, I've been really lucky to be involved with um, concept development, which is really just finding uh, new solutions to what are usually old problems. So, um, I think the first, the first, the the most important part of tackling any project um, is figuring out or making sure that we're actually solving the right problem. Because usually, if yeah, if I were in fact, if, I were to, if you were to take a, a, a bar chart of here's how my data is spent. It's or my time just, you know, in this in this kind of a role. The first 5% is making sure that whatever somebody is asking you to do is really what you should be doing, because people like to start with. The solution instead of, yeah, but why are we really doing this thing? You want this shelf, but why is the shelf there? Do we really need to just change the flow? Or, like, what's the problem that you need the shelf? So, 5% of the, the project, the whole thing is just figuring out, are you doing the right thing? Are you approaching the right problem? 15% is then solving that problem and coming up with a solution and ideating and testing and making sure it works. And quite honestly, 80% of my job at any given time is making sure that all up and down the flagpole I'm selling that idea and then I'm getting buy-in from the numerous people that are going to make it happen or not and that can be you know and when you're talking about restaurants like the, like the kind I'm doing that can be franchisees the people the individual owners that can be um, the CEO of our company, that can be my my own boss, that can be our designers um, on our team to, to make sure that they think it makes sense, that could be our operations people. That is literally 80% of the job is getting all of these people to say, yes, this thing that you've designed is the right thing, let's do it. And if you don't do that part, the what you design will never come to, excuse me, it'll never come to light. And that's that's a problem because you can have the best idea and the best design, and if it lives and it dies in your head, it's, it's worthless. So I, I think that's something that isn't really taught in design school. How much of your effort is sales, honestly, and you're a salesman, and like it or not, you are, <laughs> and your whole job is to gain trust, for people to gain trust in you as a professional and that... You know, you you're you're giving you're guiding them to the right place. Thank I don't think know. I answered your question. I think I kind of went off an a there. No,
2: that's okay. It doesn't. No. Yeah, I'll listen to anything you have to say. To be yeah. honest, because you are very you're so interesting. Um,
0: you're, you're very gracious. Thank
2: you. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so, is there like a project that is absolutely your favorite that you could remember working on? Um, do you have a favorite?
0: Um, yes, yes, actually, it's something that started at one company and got resuscitated in a second company. And my secret evil plans are to do it at the company. No, No, um, this, this sounds like a crazy one. But my my great white whale is, I really think that uh, the way everybody has historically approached the drive through is all wrong. And even now, we're seeing like everybody is adding drive-throughs where there's no drive-throughs and they're throwing extra lanes at it and here's more space and here's this other designated pickup that's okay but that's not a game changer and i'm not gonna i'm not gonna give away what the real game changer is because i really think i'm going to try it (laughs) or try to make it happen but i that Solving that in a really meaningful way and making it a great experience for customers. And you know, when when people talk about how do you make the drive-through experience better, a lot of people talk about well, we'll add some shrubs and we'll paint the building and we'll put a mural. Like people don't care. Spoiler alert: nobody cares about shrubs and and paint, you know, and murals on the dumpster and all of these. Like it's they they want speed they want to see the people that they're working with instead of going up to a dumb box they like there's a whole host of things that people want so that is my favorite project because it hasn't been finished yet and i think it's insanely important and it will get finished and it will change the face of how everybody does drivers <laughs> so
2: yeah. oh i'm excited i'm sure like once it comes out like ever like you said everyone will be affected so i'm excited and especially yeah. like today with the pandemic, everyone uses the drive through. Totally, so,
0: totally, totally, totally. Yeah. And I think that there's more, more and more of that happening. You know, there was this huge rush for delivery. And then I think people kind of got sick of paying five bucks to have their food delivered and then the other some charges. So yeah, there's going to be more and more of that. It'll it'll happen. Mark my words.
2: I'm excited. <laughs> so, I'm excited. Yeah. Um, okay, so we're kind of getting um, close to time wise, but I wanted to ask if you could give yourself your student self advice now what would it be
0: oh um you know that's a, that's a tough one and and i'm not saying this arrogantly because as i described i like on paper i had misstep after misstep after misstep after misstep, after misstep but i would not do it any other way i would not it, it has given me the point of view that I have, which is why I get hired to do the things that I do today. And so, I mean, I, I think what I would tell other people, um, you know, students and people just starting out or frankly, at any point in your career, it's okay and you should be doing things that maybe in your own mind, you have no business doing. <laughs>
2: because- Yeah, like you said, experimenting.
0: Yeah, yeah, like I've, I've made a career out of taking jobs that I had no business taking and things that i was on paper woefully underqualified for and i somehow figured it out and somehow kept doing it in all these different ways and that's that you don't know what you can't do until you get yourself in a position where you're really uncomfortable and and frankly i would say staying in that area where you're really uncomfortable is the way that you're going to get to the next thing and the way you're going to get to the thing that makes you grow into who you are and who you are to become so i think you know my advice is get right with being super uncomfortable all the time because if you're not there you're probably not doing as much as you want to be doing um and don't be afraid to ask for things along the way and ask people for help and other professionals and you know i I wouldn't be where I am if it weren't for the generosity of so many people that were gracious with their time and who are were, were were generous in, you know, showing me what's out there and what's a new way to do things. And i I've, I've found that people are so um, touched when you ask them hey, can you, do you want to, can we chat about this or that or what, whatever? And they, they love to do that. They love to connect with people that want to better themselves. So don't ever hesitate to do that. I mean, know what you're asking for. Don't waste people's time, but that's, it's, it's all about that.
2: Oh, very nice. I like it. It's very cool. Um, so is there anything that I miss that you want to talk about? Um, um, no, you know what? Yeah. The, I think the last, the
0: last bit and the reason why I was so interested and in why, why I really love um, this whole series that you guys are doing is I think that it is fabulous. I We need to have more people with design backgrounds that are in, I, I, won't, I don't know what you call them positions of power, um, you know, in, you know, higher levels within corporate structures, because, you know, when you do interesting things um, it just, it makes for a more interesting world. You know, I, I find it immensely frustrating that almost every CEO I know has either a finance background or a marketing background. Where are all the designers in this? You know, we can problem solve like anybody's business. And and I think that um, again, going back to what I, what I love about uh, a student's perspective and what you guys are doing is this, this thinking that you don't have to go down this straight path. It doesn't make you any less as a designer or less than. It actually makes you a better designer. And it makes you, um, your toolbox for how you solve problems is much bigger than somebody that has just a traditional. Not to take anything away from that. My god, I would have saved so much time if I had, <laughs> you know, gone that way. But um, it's, it, it's insanely valuable. That's more valuable than whatever you think is is valuable. So love what you guys are doing. I, I hope to see you know more and more of that that's coming. And looking forward to kind of going through your archive for myself.
2: Yes, yes. Thank you so much for talking with us today. It was so much fun. I love to hear about your crazy path that you went through. But, <laughs> you know, it's all worth it in the end. It's, it's so fun. Yeah, it was a trip. Um, <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much, Juliana, for speaking with us today. Um, If you liked our conversation, like, share, and comment any questions you may have. Um, Stay tuned next week for our episodes. And um, thank you, and this was A Student's Perspective.
1: We hope you liked this discussion with the design industry from a student's perspective. Please like, share, and comment, and stay tuned for more inspiring conversations to come.